Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mothman Prophecies, a Sparrows podcast, season two, episode two. Still in quarantine, and I just shaved my face. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode two of season two of the Mothman Prophecies of Sparrows podcast. Uh, I am your, I guess, host, John, with my bandmates, Dan and Alex. It feels hey. like we just did this. Did we, we just do one? We just did one a couple days ago, but we're going to keep this going because uh, we really have nothing else going on in our lives right now. So, And we're consistent. We are consistent. We're trying to be consistent. We're consistent until we're not. Exactly, which yeah. will hopefully be for a little while longer. Yeah, I mean, like I to mean, give us the benefit yeah. of the doubt here and say that we can keep this going for a little bit. Until I also really to... enjoyed last time. So yeah, it was a I lot of fun. Keep doing it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we have as much fun this time. Um, any updates since we uh, since we last spoke, boys? I have started wearing pants again. Oh, that's good. I've yeah. worn the same pair of sweatpants for like three days now. Oh, I, I've okay, been that the got same... a little gross. I've been wearing the same pair of sweatpants for about a week. Okay, we got yeah. grosser. And okay. I also, uh, I also just recently had a shower and uh, shaved my uh, facial hair into an Irishman. So, which I've, is I've how got- we started this whole conversation with me going, "Do you have a fucking Irishman?" Yeah. So good start. <laughs> yep. Yeah. If you uh, if you want to uh, vote on whether or not I should keep this, uh, just go to my Instagram stories and you can vote there. <laughs> I thought uh, you were going to say if you would like to vote on all the members' facial hair, and I was like, I'm not shaving. Hey, I'm I not doing it, that. I, I don't want to look 11. <laughs> I hashtagged at the Joe Exotic Challenge, so I can start nominating people like everybody else has been nominating people to do oh, stuff, like God. push-ups or whatever. Who cares? Nobody's going outside. Nobody's seeing each other. It's, I'm you know, still working. Yeah, I'm still enough. going to work. Fuckers. I forgot, I forgot that people still have uh, essential jobs. Yeah, so, I, well, my essential we job know. still got laid off. So, uh, fair enough. <laughs> Anyways, we uh, we all know who's essential in this band too. Yeah, yeah. apparently <laughs> not me. <laughs> so, uh, like we did last week, we're going to talk about uh, some albums or an album today that uh, this time was picked by Alex. That you know yeah. uh, he thought would uh, that would interest uh, the two of us, and it's something new. Um, we're going to look at the album uh, by a band called Carnival. Uh, called Sound Awake. They are an Australian band from Perth, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, On the uh, West End. The West End. And this album came out in 2010, so it's slightly older. Um, 2010 or 2013? 2010. 2010. Is it 2010? Okay. Well, it's I actually just, weird because, two, but... yeah, on the... Uh, uh, like on the wiki, it says 2009, but on Spotify, it says 2010. Maybe that's when the like North American release was because just they've got like a pretty substantial listing of different distributions and labels and stuff. So it wouldn't be that surprising. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. That would make sense. And maybe depending on if they released it on, because uh, Alex, do you know what label this came out on? Uh, I don't offhand. I know they were on Sony, so I I don't know if uh, if that maybe did. Like if they did a, a wider release on Sony later on, uh, compared to something that was like a local Australian label at the time. Uh, yeah, it says here. Uh, so Sound Awake was released Sony Music Independent in the U.S. and Canada, February sixteenth, two thousand ten. Oh, so cool. So there uh, it is. Alex, what is your uh, what is your reasoning behind choosing this album? So it was tough uh, because like, I'm obviously the newest member of the band. And so I've, you know, I've been around, we've been together since like September or October. So we've had a substantial amount of time to, you know, get to know each other and, you know, get close and things like that. But we've still only like surface level shared bands. And especially because I've joined you guys, I've also been like, okay, what's the established sound? I want to learn as much as I can about you know, what you guys are influenced by and things like that um, and adapt to that, which has been 
you know, super easy because everything that you guys have shown me, I'm like, oh yeah, I either know that and love it already, or I'm into it immediately. So it's worked out great. But for me, I haven't really had a chance to share what my upbringing of music has been like um, and what are like huge influential albums to me. Like we've talked here and there about how, you know, like System of a Down is huge for me and uh, things like that. So initially my first knee-jerk reaction when this whole conversation came up was I was going to choose a System of a Down album called Steal This Album because John and I have talked about that a lot in the past. But I thought this would be a cool idea to share something. This has such huge relevance for me as a musician because it came into my life at a time where I was like, I was so overwhelmingly obsessed with being in a band at this time. So when this album came out, I was 20 years old. And when they had their you know world tour for this or whatever is when I discovered them. And I'll go into that story later. But um, at that point, I had like, I was kind of going to school, kind of not. Uh, like I was going, but I wasn't really interested. My entire life was, I'm going to be a musician in a band. And this album came and like took over my friend group. Like we had, you know, we ha- I had a band going at the time with a bunch of, of my really close friends that I'm still super tight with. And uh, this album just floored us. And it's now, been in my consistent rotation ever since. Now, it's funny you say that because I like to think that I'm pretty open to music. I'm always searching for new bands and, and you know, new genres and new albums and whatever. And I feel like this is a band, I, well, I have to be honest, before you brought this band up that we were going to do this album, I had never heard of them before. And funny enough, when you said the name Carnival, I was like, great, this is going to be some fucking insane clown posse side project <laughs> thing. Because it sounds like that to me, just from the name. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like some weird kind of circus well, car- carnival, carnival, I don't know, carnival, yeah. fool, I don't know. It just had that kind of insane clown posse vibe to me. So I was like, great, we're going to be listening to some really bad white boy rap. Or well, I completely like agree and understand with that because the first time I found out about this band, like ever, was they were on a bill that, uh, I don't know, I didn't want to go into this story until a little bit later, but I might as well go into it now. So my band at that time played a show with uh, this other band that we really look up to. And they're another band that I really struggled to choose between them and this. They're called uh, Fair to Midland. And they have a system of a down connection because they were signed to Serge Tankian's uh, record label when he came out with that. So I was huge into them. And Carnival was on the, uh, the bill that we were playing with, with Fair to Midland. And, but I saw the name and I was like, screw that like i'm not gonna fucking listen to a band called carnival and yeah i'm not gonna lie it's kind of a dumb name but i mean yeah no judgment you know (laughs) i i still don't have any you know story or anything behind why they chose that name yeah i was trying to i was trying to look that up and i uh i couldn't find anything about what the name means or why they came up with that name I know yeah. a lot of bands. I actually, I actually found this. Oh, did you? Okay, uh, sweet. Yeah. So it is a, it's a slang that's derived from a local anecdotal description that the original members were a bunch of clowns. So it's in reference to the fact that they were all goofy high school kids when they first started the band mm. and that they was kind of like a carnival and then it just became that. So you weren't that far off when you were talking about the vibe of that when you were, you know, you were saying like, it's going to be insane clown posse or something. Right. Like yeah. the actual name does come from that idea. So not super prefer- far. I will preface this though. This band sounds nothing like insane no. clown posse. Okay. Like not even remotely close. There was other than the fact it's music. It does not sound like insane clown posse. Yeah. And there's yeah. people doing vocals. <laughs> yes. There's actual singing and musicianship and no fago. No fago. No fago. Unfortunately for some. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, going on that, I mean, Alex, how did you discover them? Like what? what it, yeah. Like f- you finished that story you were saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, so yeah, we played this show with, uh, this band fair to Midland who, again, they're one of my, both of these bands are in my top five bands of all time. So we were at the show with fair to Midland. We opened up for it 
And uh, right after we played, we were, you know, we got complimented by the lead singer of Fair in the Midland and all this stuff. And we were like on top of the world. And we had dedicated the time that Carnival was playing to going outside and, you know, smoking a joint and getting as drunk as possible for when Fair in the Midland came on, because that's what we did when I was 20 years old. And uh, so we came back in, we're all, you know, stoned as shit. And Carnival is in the middle of their set. And it was fucking mind blowing. So this band is like absolutely enormous in Australia. They're like a stadium band. And we were playing in, uh, I don't know if you guys were around in Toronto at this point, but there was this venue called the Annex Rec Room. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it was there. It's a small stage. It's a, it's a good little club, or it was when it was around. And, uh, but they brought their like stadium show in there and like the lights were insane it was just monstrous like we played on the stage and we've got like video of us playing on there and it's a tiny stage compared to what i remember walking into it was incredible they packed the venue like between us playing and them playing it was like a completely different place and they were so unbelievably awesome that all of us immediately you know, after the show, when we got home and we, you know, were not hung over anymore, we dove into this band like crazy. And this album was the, what they were on their world tour for. And yeah, it was incredible. And I can't even explain how much they impacted my musical everything since then. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm super I guess stoked we've... on it. We can move on to the segment now uh, where we talk about what we think about this album. Uh, I guess, I, I, honestly, the entire time I was listening to this album, all I could think about was what Dan was going to say about it. I don't know why. And I've been super worried about that. Yeah, I know. He's, he's definitely the hardest one to impress. Yeah. And uh, the entire time I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, I really like this part. And I was like, ah, oh, Dan, I don't know if he likes this part. Um, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm actually very, very interested to hear what Dan thought about this record. Uh, I am too. It's... And I'm also kind of terrified. I actually mentioned to my partner, Carly, before this, that like, if Dan doesn't like this and he tears it apart, I don't know what I'm going to do because this is so <laughs> uh, like influential and impactful well, for me. I hate I to break you, buddy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, to be fair, we had started this. Uh, like when we had talked about it, I had made the point of trying to find good and bad in things. Mm -hmm. And while this is 1000% not remotely in my wheelhouse, I yeah. did put in a good effort to try and find something that I did like about it. Cool. The struggle is, is that everything that I really hate in rock music pretty much happens in this whole record <laughs> at one point in time or another. <laughs> but, but it's not every song. Like, it's not every single, like, something will, they'll do something, and I'll be like, yeah, and then something will happen and kind of redeem it, and it goes yeah. back and forth like that through every single song. Mm -hmm. The two songs that I liked the most were Set Fire to the Hive oh. and, and Goliath. That's so funny, because cool. Set Fire to the Hive is, was probably my least favorite song. That's only yeah. because of the, I hate when bands do that sort of distorted vocal tone thing. Yeah. It sounds yep. like such cock rock, you know? And as soon as he did that at the beginning of the song, I was like, oh, song's ruined. So it's just well, funny. I that mean, that I don't favorite, know. But... I get it. It's, and the thing is, I completely agree with that. It's, it really has to do that, that song specifically. And honestly, like my number one takeaway from this record is how good the fucking rhythm section is. Mm -hmm. And oh, I yeah. feel like in that song is when I really picked up on it is how good the bass player and the drummer were at like playing off of each other and playing like these little subtle things that are in there that that's the song where I noticed it. Cause there's that big kind of gap in the middle and then the drums come in and they start doing those shots and shit. And yeah. it's like, that's kind of where I picked up on it. And the, like the biggest selling point on this entire record is just a, the bass tone is really good, but the bass player and the drummer are like unsung heroes here because I, yeah. when you listen to the record, you can tell it's kind of built around the singer and his voice does nothing for me at all. Like, it's kind of like the bad parts of, of um, uh, Maynard from Tool and the guy from Chevelle mixed together. Right. And I could, like, I could not get on into that. And I, it yeah. was such a struggle to listen to because of that. But as soon as I clicked into how good that rhythm section was, 
everything became easier. It became like a like I had something positive to focus on all the way through, and so then I started to notice different things. Like, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, The medicine wears off. Like that's a pretty good like, for lack of a better term, like pop song wrapped in like an aggressive like progressive rock feel to it. But the reason, again, the reason I noticed that is how good the drummer and bass player were playing together to then make that vocal really stand out. Again, so um, funny you say that because I didn't think that song really added anything to the record. If anything, I thought the record could have done without that song completely and still been really good. But that is that the reason that's interesting is because we're focusing on different things that make um, make things good for one another. Totally. And I know for you, like this is in your wheelhouse, so it's a lot easier to pick up on those positives right away. Totally. And that's that's I feel like where I might have been a little bit at a disadvantage at this point because I don't like I have no relation to anything in here. There was a couple of parts that was like, oh, this kind of sounds like Deftones. I kind of dig that. Um, and I got a little bit here and there of like almost like an Incubus vibe. And mm-hmm. there were certain parts of that where I was like, this is good too. But if I had a choice to never listen to this again, I probably would take that choice, you know? Uh, <laughs> but I mean that in a, like, I don't hate it. Like I hate a lot of other stuff. It's just not in my, in my zone where I'm like, this is amazing. But oh, yeah, I, yeah. I do take positives out of it. And I, I kind of the same as what I was saying with Nine Inch Nails before. I feel like being able to see this live would make a difference and would make it more interesting. Because taking it strictly on its surface, it doesn't have some of the stuff that I do like in music. It's not super dynamic. Like the quiet parts aren't really that quiet. The big loud parts aren't really that loud. And I think that has to do do with how it was mixed and how it was mastered and how records came out in 2010 versus now. Um, But so I feel like while I would, again, like I said, probably not listen to this again, reserving judgment on the band would be me waiting to see them play. Mm-hmm. Um, to be before I could be like, you know what, this is not my thing. It's garbage. Or, you know, they're really good at what they do or like, this is good. It's just, I don't want to hear it like recorded. I want to see it in front of me. And that, that's been my struggle the whole time. You know, I know Alex can probably attest to this, but I feel like just when I was listening to this record, it didn't seem like, not that I think they wouldn't be good live. I just don't think they're much of a stage presence band just listening to it. Yeah. But obviously I haven't seen them live. Alex, you have, but not that I think they stand completely, they would stand completely static the entire time, but I just feel like it wouldn't be so much about watching them as hearing them live, if that makes any sense. Totally. And I've seen a lot of live videos and stuff as well, because I've, you know, done the super deep dive on this band over the years. And, and there as you is, should, as, as a fan, you know? Yeah. And they, you know, it, that does make sense. Like they are a band to listen to, even though watching them in a live setting is, you know, interesting. It's not, they're not going crazy. Like the front man even, like he's very got his own weird style of being a front man and his stage presence and things like that, but he's not going nuts on stage or, right. you know, none of them are. Well, really. they're not that style of music either. And yeah. to that's me, what I that's, mean, though. Yeah. yeah, they're not going to put on a show in a performance sense, they're going to put on a show like again, like we were talking about with Nine Inch Nails, where like it's probably built around the visuals that go along with this and how hopefully dynamic and tight the band is. You know, yeah, absolutely. Because I could I could see them being a really solid like they everybody that's in this band is good at what they do, regardless yeah. of if you yeah. like it or not. You have to respect that there is a level of musician musicianship there, and I feel like seeing that live. I bet the singer sounds exactly like that live. You know what I mean? I don't think he yeah, very probably falters, you know, where some people rely on help when they're recording yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I feel like they're, it, seeing them live, it would probably sound a lot like a recording just in a live setting, if that makes sense. I kind of f- felt like the whole time they would be kind of a band, not to compare them in styles because they're not similar, but in a presentation, it would be kind of like Protest the Hero. where like, you're there to see what they're doing. You're, you're there to kind of, to hear the music, but also like you're there for the technical prowess. You're there for the talent of what's there. Totally. You're not there to see them thrash around because they don't, you know, maybe in yeah. fucking 2002 or whatever it was when they were playing community centers, it was different, but they're not that band. And because mm-hmm. this is, as you were saying, like an arena sized band, it absolutely makes sense when you listen to it, that that's what you would get out of it. You yeah. know? I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a band called Tesseract. Yep. They're from Europe. 
I don't know if Dan has. He, he oh, may no. have. <laughs> I know what the name is, but I've never listened to You've it. You've never listened to them. Yeah, absolutely. They're yeah. they're definitely one of those uh, original kind of genty bands. Yeah. And this band sounded kind of like a lighter version of them, like still kind of that proggy rock vibe with a lot of syncopation and, you know, weird time signatures and all that stuff. It just kind of gave me that that vibe to it. And it's the other thing that I find interesting about this is again, getting to know Alex and like his music style and everything. This is very much a like time capsule piece. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's a good thing to me because it's like, you kind of cherish, like I have a lot of bands that are like that, that I know are garbage, but I like because I liked them when I was like 15. Um, But this one to me doesn't strike me as one that you would be embarrassed of from a musical standpoint. You know, like they don't, like, it's not like it's a pop punk band where you're like, Ooh, that's not good. You know, like they're, they have talent. They clearly have their thing together. Um, and you saw it at a time where like most people probably weren't ingesting music at this level of a music from a musician side of things. So I kind of wonder whether that was an impact as well, because of the fact that like you were saying, you were so diehard about being in a band. And then you see something like this that is really well put together and it kind of almost pushes you to want to be better at the same time. And I yeah, wonder if maybe that's why agree. it kind of stuck with you in the same way. I yeah, can was, agree with that. Yeah. It's like when you see somebody and you're like, man, I, I want to be as good as that. Yeah. Whereas they were <laughs> by far the best, like any type of anything to do with being in a band that I had ever seen at that point. Right. It was mind blowing. And now I know Dan, you mentioned your favorite track or tracks were Goliath and Set Fire to the Hive. I wasn't a big fan of Set Fire to the Hive. I actually, funny enough, when I looked at the track listing on Spotify, I was like, oh my God, this record's going to be so long. And if I don't like this after the first two songs, it's going to be such a chore to get through. <laughs> I know, I was because, terrified of that. It's like you're reading my brain. <laughs> no, because there's there's songs on here that are, you know, eight minutes long, uh, 12 minutes long. Like the last yeah. two songs are almost 25 minutes between yeah. the two of them, you know? Um <sighs> But funny enough, it was actually the two longer songs, New Day and Umbra, that I really liked. Like those two tracks really stood out to me. And I feel like they were kind of the same type of song, if that makes sense, because they both had these like super melodic riffs that the songs ended with, like these little guitar lines, whether it was like picked or strummed or whatever, that always faded out. And Mm -hmm. I mean, they're very similar in style, but they both... It was kind of as if, you know, oh, great, there's a long song coming up. I'm probably going to like it. You know, it just had that kind of uh, anticipation to it when I was looking at the track listing. But. I, I, The other thing I would venture to say from listening to this, though, and then knowing you, John, there's enough of a tool influence here that it's, it's definitely in your wheelhouse um, that a lot more of this would kind of appeal to you. Totally. And, and I, I, I don't mean that as a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a, like when I started listening to it, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, John's going to love this because it's that kind of style. And that's in your wheelhouse for sure. Oh, and the thing is, is like, I like this a lot. I don't know if I would necessarily go out of my way to listen to it on repeat all the time. Because for me, the songs aren't really digestible in that sense. If that, I don't know. It's like an all or nothing sort of thing. Yeah, it's like I kind of got to sit down and be in like a mood for it rather than being like, oh, I'm just going to listen to this song like as a one-off, you know, where there's a lot of I would of also where... argue that Tool's probably like that too, though. <laughs> oh, dude, the yeah. last three nights, I've gone to bed listening to different Tool albums start to finish as like a wow. weird meditation thing. Yeah, I don't know why. It's it's just been what I've been really into. I've been watching all these Danny Carey live videos recently. I don't know. Well, see, this I'm... band has been, you know, even reading reviews on it, They're the band that they were... Uh, like related to the most is tool and tool is a band that like i've never really gotten into like they're obviously they're great and they've got they're such an iconic part of you know just heavy rock music and there are some songs that i know perfectly back to front Mm -hmm. but i've other than i think Ten Thousand days i don't think i've listened to a full album all the way through to be honest I think a lot of their comparison would have to do with the vocalist, though. Uh, not saying that they have the exact same vocals or anything, but there's definitely a leaning towards uh, this singer, the singer in this band whose name I don't know, 
um, clearly in like likes what Maynard does because I would yeah. also say like there's a perfect circle vibe in there too, yeah. vocally speaking, like totally. not instrumentally but vocally. And he's got a big thing for Maynard, which is a good thing because Maynard is a fucking king when it comes down to it. Yeah. Um, it's it's the music around it. Like if we're talking about things that I should like that I don't, Tool is one of those. Like totally. musically. It should be right up my alley, but it isn't. But I fucking love Maynard as a singer, which is why I love Perfect Circle. Like Perfect Circle is exactly what I want out of that. It's really Um, funny that you bring that up because I've been thinking about the next, like one of the next albums I want to do is a Tool album. Just not like almost because I have to force you to listen to it. Just to torture me. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) but it's because I know like you'll you'll like it. You know what I mean? You just have to like really sit down. I have to buy it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. I feel like once you do... Like you will like it. I don't think you're going to love it, but you're definitely going to have more appreciation for it. If that makes sense. No, it does. And I would say that this is that is probably the same as this band. If I had to listen to them more and more and more, or like say for some reason, Alex had control of the fucking radio in the van for an entire tour. And he just kept putting this on. (laughs) I'm sure there would be stuff, not a chance there. I'm sure there would be a time where I'm like, you know what? This does it for me. This part here, this part here. But I also, as you and most people that have talked to me for more than five minutes know, I like very specific things and I don't like very specific things. And it's kind of like the balance between those, however many check marks you get on the wrong side versus the right side dictates how, how much I can kind of either buy into it and get over the stuff I don't like, or there's not enough of say like the good check marks. And that's also just been my experience with tool. It's like, I love Maynard. There's a lot of other stuff that I could do without. Um, that would make Tool more enjoyable for me. Right. But that also would involve diving into the discography more than I already have. And it's already too much as far as me to intaking that. And I would put this band um, arguably above Tool because they've got more of what I like versus more of what I don't like. Right. Yeah. And this band also, I found they were more accessible than Tool because Tool, yes, even at definitely. that point, they had so big of a repertoire of albums to dive into. And at this yes. point, this was only their second major release. And I don't so, think they've put out anything since then though. Uh, they put out one album since then and it, I don't know, it was okay. It was I, a no, very but it's, disappointing it's Since I think two, 2013, they haven't done anything. Yeah, they haven't done anything. My, They're starting to play shows again now, but like that's kind of it. My argument with the Tool comparison is that even me being a big Tool fan, there's still, they have individual songs that are good as a standalone song, if that makes sense, where this album, like as much as I like the songs and everything, there wasn't specific songs that like really stuck out that were like, whoa, okay, like the song has like a huge chorus or like a huge hook or something. Like everything is just hooky all the time. It's a lot of the same things done over and over in different ways. That. Oh man, see, I feel totally different about that. And I've really been like, I've been holding back. I've actually made notes since we've been talking because every time somebody brings up something, I have something to say about it, but oh. I want to, I want to let you guys talk. No, but, no, speak your mind, uh, speak your mind. Well, <laughs> well, so I, I don't know. There is a lot of the hook, like hookiness in here. Um, but there are certain parts of this album, like chorus wise, where I think they're like, the best choruses I can think of when, you know, if somebody asked me for an example of what the perfect chorus would be or like hook in a song, there's a couple on this album specifically that I'm like, that I can point to and be like, that is fucking incredible. And that's, you know, the example they have a, I would give to people. They definitely have a very good grasp of what I call like pop songwriting. And I know there's actually a different term for it. Mm-hmm. And that's not a shot against them. It's actually a very... Uh, to me, it's a very tough skill to be able to um, harness in that way. And I feel like almost every song on this record arguably has a chorus or has a part that's got enough of a hook there that would recognize that. Yeah. Um, and, and I cannot, I have no argument against that. You're absolutely right. They, they know how to write a big chorus. And that's kind of like, it sounds dumb, but there's one song in there that made me think of uh, Pardon Me from uh, the Incubus song from Make Yourself. Is it from oh, Make yeah. Yourself? Yep. Um, that chorus came to mind and I was like, I love that Incubus song. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not an Incubus across the discography kind of person, but there's songs here and there that I like. And I like that record Me for too. the most part. Me too. And you that probably, there was a, you don't remember what song it was though. 
No, I don't. And I wish I had written it down because it was the second time I was listening through and I wasn't writing notes like I was with the first time I listened through. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was uh, the way the chorus kicked in, it was like a bat out of and it, I was like, oh, that's it right there. And they have they have a good grasp of being able to nail that. I think where I um, struggle with it is that it didn't always feel unique in how they were doing it. And there's again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just a taste difference. But that's where I kind of that's where they lost me again. It's like, okay, you're doing you're nailing this chorus again, or you're nailing this big hooky part again, but you did it in the same way that the last song did and at the same, you know, and it's like they almost needed to kind of just take a little more of a chance and be like, maybe we'll come into this, but we'll do it quiet first, or we'll come into this one and it'll just be like a rager straight through and we'll pick up the pace of it. They always just kind of seem to come in in that same way. But what it was, if you took it as an individual thing, was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's well, just I the think context. There was so there's, I've kind of broken this down after thinking about it and sitting through it for the past couple of days. There's kind of different chunks to this album. Like there's the beginning chunk, which is very much in that mainstream, you know, how you mentioned there's that, the bands know how to write, you know, a hook in a, for lack of a better term, a poppy song, something that has the accessibility to the outside, you know, bigger, larger audience. And I yes. think that's the first four songs. Those have that, and then it kind of cuts. Goliath for sure, I would agree with that one. Yeah, and even New Date. So, "Set Fire to the Hive," it, "Set Fire to the Hive" is like my least favorite song on this album as well. It's okay. So very, I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah, not it's alone. very reminiscent. Even though I don't get me wrong, I love everything on this album. Uh, but if I had to choose one, it would be that song. It's very reminiscent of their last album, and like so, the first album that they did, and then they had like some EPs and things like that. They were very much like a new metal band. Like they came out during the, you know, Linkin Park type of phase. And uh, I actually found, so I was told at one point, I don't know where I was told it, but that the producer from Linkin Park's uh, Meteora album produced this album. Um, but then I tried to look into it to find proof of that today and I couldn't. So I think that's wrong. But I was totally convinced that like after listening to Meteora when I was like 20, um, you know, after finding this, I was like, oh, of course there's that connection because Linkin Park also has that, especially during that album, that very, you know, big sound when it comes to chorusy stuff. Yeah, no, it, it, it just says here, like on the Wikipedia page that they produced it themselves and mm -hmm. a guy named Forrester Savell, who also mixed it. Yeah, and he did, well. looking into it, he did a bunch of other you know, Australian bands like Dead Letter Circus and things like that, um, that I kind of got into at the time because Carnival was so influential that I was like, I have to know what else comes from, you know, the land down under. I thought it was also kind of fascinating that when I was reading up on this album a little bit, they actually more wrote this album as a group. Yeah. Than they did as, say, an individual person because usually with this style of music, I find there's one person that does, at least in other albums I've listened to, it seems like there's always one band member, whether it's a guitar player or a drummer or whatever, that always writes the music and then kind of presents it to the rest of the band. And then, and then it evolves kind of, from there. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas this, it, they even mentioned that they kind of got together in the rehearsal space, jammed out a bunch of stuff. And it's actually impressive that they're able to come up with these longer songs and how. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Like, uh, I can't think of the word, but I was thinking how cohesive it yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say uniform. The yeah. album sounds because usually when you have a bunch of different people writing stuff, it's going to be kind of all over the place and choppy, and there's not really going to be a flow to it. But this album definitely has a good flow, so mm -hmm. I commend them definitely for being able to do that as a group. I would agree with that too. There's definitely a flow to this record that is it's it's very complementary. I would almost maybe not to the same extent as our uh, our last one with uh, Trent and how like well thought out he is, but they clearly mm -hmm. paid attention to how all these songs went together and kind of the overall flow of the record. There's definitely a conscious effort there. Uh, yeah. I would, I would just say that like, it's obvious that they didn't write it in one, you know, foul swoop sort of thing. Whereas Trent obviously is like, thinking about that the whole time, but when yeah. they put it together, they did a really good job of sync uh, sequencing and like, making it feel like one big long 
um, piece that fits together in an appropriate way. Yeah, I would argue that Trent has also become sort of this machine now where he can just write a song in, you know, 15 minutes because he's just churning out material. It just makes me sad for myself that he's that good. I know, but at the same time, it also kind (laughs) of, I mean, I like it, but I also don't because I found, especially if we're going back to the last podcast, we talked about the slip. The fact that that album was written so quickly, it almost takes away from how long and, you know, strenuous it it usually takes the band to write an album. Oh yeah, I can't imagine this just album. Turns how long this out. You know yeah, because I mean? there's just so much going on. Guitar, so many layers, drums, and... all these different things. But yeah. there are, the amount of vocal layers that are in there too. That's and like a meticulous and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like either he's maybe more talented than I'm even giving him credit for, or he's incredibly meticulous. Either way, it's like a talent that like a lot of people don't have to be that way. But you mm-hmm. can hear that. In the, like, and that's kind of why I was saying earlier, like you can tell these songs are like built and mixed around the singer being like the the guy, so to speak. Um, and you can you can hear it in the way that like these subtle harmonies come in, or like these little like these little almost like stutter steps that he kind of does a little bit. Like it's it's good in yeah. that sense. Yeah. So I'm gonna go back to Goliath because um, Dan brought up that he loved that song. Well, he, it was one of his favorite. Cause I don't think Dan loved any part of it. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. Okay. So yeah, I wanted to talk about the, uh, the rhythm section a little bit because one, the rhythm section was pretty influential for me. Like before then I paid attention to it when I was listening to bands, but because I was such, you know, a young, stupid guitar player, guitar stuff in a band was really the only thing I paid attention to. So, John, I did notice, or I did think that you would enjoy at least that section of it, which is funny because both Dan and I have brought up that we think you'd like it, and you haven't really mentioned anything about it. Which is About the good. rhythm section? Yeah. Oh, I, the rhythm section is great. And I mean, I feel like any musician, the first thing you're going to listen to is your instrument in a recording, regardless yeah. of what it is. If it's you know, jazz, hip-hop, classical, whatever, you're always going to try to listen to, well, maybe not classical, but... You're always going to try to listen to your instrument, whether you're a guitar player, you're listening for guitars. If you're a drummer, you're listening for the drums or the drum beat. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, I think I mentioned previously earlier in the podcast that the rhythm section is insanely tight. And that's where they reminded me a lot of that band Tesseract because Tesseract oh, right. you did say that. incredibly yeah. tight drummer and bass player. Like there's just something, or it might even be their guitar player and, and drummer, but there's just this really, like you can tell there's chemistry there and they can play off each other really, really easily. So I have a lot of respect for the fact that they can do that. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, so in Goliath as well, the bass tone at the beginning is like monstrous. Like oh. It is. And again, for the era, the only thing I would say that popped into my head that would be as like full that I can remember right away is listening to like old failure records is like the bass tone of that first little bit when it comes in is like fat and chunky in a way yeah. that reminded me of like old failure stuff. Not to yeah. say it's the same, but it just reminded me of that right off the bat. Well, yeah, that type of thing wasn't really around in music, especially heavy music at that time. Like maybe in not as predominant. Yeah, stuff. for sure. Yeah, because this is like mainstream rock in Australia right? Like these guys headline festivals with other international headliners because they're so big there. And so having them have a tone like this, and especially, you know, at the time, I'd never even heard of, you know, a bass distort, like grit like that. It was huge. And, uh, you know, him playing six string bass as well at the time was very unorthodox. He's getting fat and sassy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my favorite song on the album that I wanted to bring up as well is New Day. I think that song is perfect from front to back. Interesting. And it's, so there's obviously other parts of this album that I love. Like the end of Simple Boy is huge. Uh, Dead Man, which is the second last song on the album. It's 12 minutes, but the, uh, like the last huge climax that they get to is fucking monstrous. And it's I, pretty cinematic. For yeah, Dead Man, though, yeah. for Dead Man, I thought it was a little weird that there was a there's a chunk. It's like the last minute or two minutes of that song. I thought it was the beginning of the next song. So yeah, I actually, I actually read actually, a part the first of it. time I I listened to that, I thought the same thing too. Uh, so that kind I of threw read me something off a little about bit. this. 
So because Dead Man actually does end two minutes before uh, the end of the song, and then there's that chunk. So that chunk at the end there, it's not actually part of Dead Man. It's part of um, a track from the last album that they used to go into change. So technically it's Ah. labeled, even though it's called, you know, Dead Man and then change, the end of Dead Man, uh, that two minute, chunk is dead man part or uh change part one and then the actual track change on here that's the 10 minute track is change part two. Oh, interesting yeah but okay. i actually i didn't find that out until yesterday when i was reading up on it that's kind of cool i mean for somebody who's never listened to their first album it makes no sense but yeah of course <laughs> but that's, but that's one that, of those kind of things like a little like secret stuff here and there that used to be uh going a little bit earlier for example like my favorite band is a band called Monine. And on the red tree, there's actually a secret song that's in front of the first song. So you actually have to rewind on the CD back to go and get it. Whoa, I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Okay, but no, see, and when I figured that out, um, this was pre us ever recording with Kenny or anything like that. I started, I went back and listened to all the other Monine records and they have a carryover from each record that goes to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. So like. The EP has something on Theory of Harmonial. The Theory of Harmonial has something on Are We Really Happy? Are We Really Happy has something on Red Tree. So it's kind of the same idea where like you want your your releases to still have something in common. And that's a really interesting for like, quote unquote, for the fans only yeah. kind of thing to do. And that's really kind of cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I had no idea that Monin did that. Oh, a bunch of bands back in the day did that. But that's that's my favorite one because it's in a spot that I don't remember. That's not to say other bands didn't do it that way, but I don't remember another band doing it there. I know well, Limp Biscuit did one on Significant Other, and I think it's 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 like rewinding the last track on the CD or something like that. You go back something like 15 minutes, and there's a secret track in there. Yeah, too. there's I yeah I think it yeah I'm pretty sure it's Significant Other. I don't remember exactly where it is, but I know it's there. <laughs> Wow. I mean that that used to be a big thing for when CDs were around. Like I have, a, I know I have a bunch of other, of other ones that do that. Hilariously, the next one that popped into my head is the original Good Charlotte record. Like the first, the the self titled Good Charlotte one has a secret track <laughs> on the end. I don't know why I thought of that, but it's there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so to me, this is almost like a more effective way of doing that. Like it's not a secret track; it's like a secret for the people that know this band. Yeah, um, kind of tie in. And that's why I liked the Monin one so much is because like they have these little ones that unless you've paid attention to their career, you're not going to catch up or catch into it. And I love that kind of thing. Yeah. And again, I mean, probably with their huge amount of fan or their giant fan base in Australia, that would be a, a more recognizable thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so one more part I wanted to bring up for this album uh, is there's a song in here that has a very similar structure to how Sparrows uh, structures things, which I thought was super cool. Um, so Sparrows is, as I've come to learn, there is no real like chorus section in, like there's no repeated <laughs> chorus in, uh, especially after my writing favorite, with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite review that we ever had it's like this probably the worst review we've ever had but the guy <laughs> wrote in it these guys don't know that you need to have a chorus in the song to make it catchy and the last <laughs> three or four minutes of each song is just them <laughs> masturbating and i laughed so hard at that because it's like kind of true but not really yeah but oh it's kind of true oh it's good <laughs> well there's this song so uh track six all i know there's there is a chorus in it, but it only happens once, which I thought was really cool because one of the songs that, um, you know, we've been writing, which is going to be an upcoming release, there is like a, a chorusy kind of part, but it's kind of remnant, like it's super hooky, not vo- like just the melody is very hooky. And um, so, yeah, at the end of all I know, it just explodes into this huge climactic uh chunk of it's kind of chorusy but it's not because it's not you know an actual chorus but um i thought that was very reminiscent of you know some of the stuff that we've been writing together and then going back throughout like failed gods there's like a lot of the ends of songs um are you know especially the ones that we play live have that kind of element to it that's 
even though there is a lot of energy at the beginning, I feel that there is a climax to a lot of things. So we don't, Sparrows doesn't have uh, necessarily like a structure to things, but I think it is very uh, relatable to this, well, to Sound Awake in general, how there's like a thematic uh, theme to things, how it can go from <laughs> one, I know, thematic theme, but uh, it, how it, um, cinematic theme, that's what there I'm trying go. to get yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how it goes from one place and then moves on to another place and gets bigger and then there's an ending type of thing. And I know all- with with our songwriting, when we talk about choruses, we do maybe have some songs that have a quote unquote chorus, but I find more of what we would consider a chorus would be a big riff that we play again. Like look at Cave yeah. Eater, for instance, or um, Fifth uh, Helena Drive. Like they have these riffs that kind of happen once or twice on the other side of verses, which could be quote unquote choruses, but there's not necessarily a vocal line that goes over it, but it's mm-hmm. just this big riff that I think acts as a chorus, but we don't treat it like one of that. Which I think is super cool. I yeah. mean, if Caven didn't have to write chor- choruses all the time, I don't think we have to, so. Well, except for, except for Antenna. <laughs> And we're not talking about that record. Uh, it's a great record. <laughs> we're talking about Until Your Heart Stops. That's all we're talking okay, about right fair now. Enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think... No, that- I think... I, I was going to say, Alex, I think you summed it up in a way that probably brings a bit more light to it than I would have. Because you are... You have the kind of... Um, you have the polarizing uh, experience with it that allows you to talk kind of about the same thing that I'm talking about in a way that explains it better because you have a bit more kind of passion around it. And you have kind of summed up the record a little bit better than I did. And I would agree with you. I think it's to me, the, the effectiveness of what you're talking about is where we maybe differ, but Mm -hmm. you did a better job of explaining it than I did, even though I was trying to be as positive as possible. And I think that just shows like what it means when you like really care about a band. It's, it's easier to talk about um, how, how detailed, sorry, let me start that sentence again. It's easier to talk about the details that make something better uh, when you have that like diehard kind of uh, push behind it, whether or not you actually feel that way anymore if you had it at a certain point. And I think that for maybe my negativity that I brought into this, you balanced it out really well without making me annoyed. So. Well, I do appreciate how you uh, you did try to bring some positives in with it because I was yeah, terrified I, that you were going to come oh. into this and be like, I fucking hated this album. I can't believe <laughs> that this means something to you. How are you to in be the honest same with, band you, with me? I was worried that you were going to give me like an Alter Bridge record or something and I was going to come in and do that. Like, And that's when I, <laughs> I was a little bit, because I thought you'd try and punk me right off the bat. I, you'd be like, I'm going to fuck with them. And so I was very prepared for that. And I, th- I feel like that maybe it, in, in retrospect, maybe that's why I like this a little bit more than maybe I normally would have is because it wasn't Alter Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that was an initial like reaction of mine as well when we were thinking yeah. about what albums I, like, I wanted to bring. Like the first one I wanted like came to mind was that System of a Down album. And yeah, because- which I don't mind System of a Down. Like that's, that's fine. But that would have been more along those lines. I don't th- like it. Didn't even cross my mind to bring Alter Bridge to this, even though yeah, for me they're one of my favorite bands. It's not something that I would want to, you know, bring th- to a I format we, like this. I think it's the predictability with the three of us. Because yes. if you look at me, it's like you, everybody probably would have expected that my first album would be a Deftones album. You know what I yeah. mean? Because yeah. they're my favorite band, and that's the first thing I want to talk about. Where like for you, Alex, we know Alter Bridge is one of your favorite bands. So they're going to be one of the things that you want to talk about right away. Whereas, again, I don't know what Dan's going to pick for next week. But if you were to oh, pick... Oh, I'm say, throwing a hard curveball tomorrow. But I mean, if, he, if yeah. he picked Monine, you know, that would almost be too uh, predictable in a sense. Yes. So it's kind of yeah. nice that so far, at least with the two of us, we've picked albums from bands that we really, really like but they're not necessarily at the forefront. They're not the standard pick, yeah. Exactly, that you yeah. know would make this kind of boring in a sense you know because and, you know i will say when it comes down to it when system of a down does come up i'm actually kind of excited about it because i do i have a lot to say about that band specifically and mm-hmm. like my like overall experience and and uh kind of like influence of theirs um so like i again i feel like that's why in my head i was like 
ready to hate this first one because the next one's going to come up and the, the first one wasn't so bad. So, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of fun doing this one, guys. So did I. Thank really you cool for listen. uh, listening to this stuff. Thank you, Alex, for uh, introducing the two of us to a band that neither of us had ever heard of before. Yeah. Um, so that's, again, really cool with this podcast, uh, getting to be introduced to new music. Uh, again, the album we did is Sound Awake by Carnival. You should check it out on Spotify or wherever else you stream your music. If you're, uh, a, if you're a prog rock fan, it's going to be right up your yes, alley. Right up totally. your alley. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. Cool. All right. All right. I guess uh, next week is, is me, and uh, we're definitely going to take a left turn from where we're at right now. So I'm pretty excited. I yeah, I wait. think we should take a left turn. We've been pretty prog these first two. So, yeah, uh, like I'm going even for like for people that don't like that know me but don't know me too well. This is going to be like a really. So I'm kind I of excited swear to about God, that. If it's Eve Six with the Goo Goo Dolls, <laughs> it's going to be the final episode of this podcast. <laughs> oh shit! It's definitely going to be Goo Goo Dolls, isn't it? No, right. I would never. I would never do that. But I will say it's definitely like it's an artist that I've liked for a really, really long time. But it's not somebody that I would probably talk about that often because it was like an early one and also oh i fucked it up okay well good <laughs> what a way um, to end it <laughs> again if you want to if you want to reach out to the podcast you can at sparrows613 at gmail.com send us any uh requests feedback whether you like what we're doing if you don't send us pictures of your dogs recipes we are all still in quarantine so we're always looking for new stuff to do and and, and we booked our first guest. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, and we've had a bunch of interest up. in that as well. Which oh, is awesome. yeah. We have a lot of so. people that have shown interest in uh, in wanting to be on this podcast talking because about records. Because they, they are really as like. bored as we are. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. All right, everyone. All right. For Sparrows, I'm John, Dan, Alex. Thanks for listening. Uh, uh. <laughs>